You're listening to the Volleyball by Design podcast. Today, we got a special guest on today's episode. We have a volleyball strength and training as well as jump expert coach on here. Uh, you know what? It's funny. I've never actually brought in a vertical jump coach in the volleyball space because as many of you know, that's something that I do and that's something that I do. I, I would like to think very well. I've been doing it for a long time, but you know, there's always, there's always value in bringing on other experts. And today, we have... We have a special guest. He actually specializes in strength training for volleyball players. So this is a great episode. Um, this is one where he he gave a ton of information. He he was uh, he was talking really fast and dishing out a lot of great value. So uh, take your time and listen to this episode. Um, I also did did a, did my best to recap a lot of things he said because um, you know Reed is so passionate. He just. There's so much value in in all in his experience, and and he wanted to make sure that he gave you guys as much as possible, so that you could take it back to your team and start increasing the strength and vertical jump of your players. So this is one where you're gonna want to take some notes and uh, dial in some time to listen to. All right, so this is an episode you don't want to miss. Stay tuned. Hi, I'm Coach Brian Singh, and after a number of years coaching competitive volleyball and as the head coach of the biggest college in Canada, I've become obsessed with helping coaches improve their knowledge and skills of the game by teaching them how to coach efficiently and effectively to ultimately reach their volleyball goals. I created the Volleyball by Design podcast to give you simple, actionable, step-by-step strategies so you can get clarity and apply what you learn right away. This is the Volleyball by Design podcast. What's up, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome to episode 142 of the Volleyball by Design podcast. How is everyone doing out there today? Another week of volleyball. A couple updates. If many of you probably heard in the preamble, uh, Doris to Digital Volleyball Academy are opening, or rather not opening, but open. So if you're listening to this before March 9th of 2023, doors are open to Digital Volleyball Academy. So if you're a coach, which I'm sure you heard in the preamble, I uh, can't wait to get a chance to work with you inside DVA. Uh, like I mentioned, DVA is my, um, you know, it, it's special to me. We have over, we have hundreds and hundreds of coaches that are inside DVA that have gone through DVA. So if you're a coach that is willing to invest in yourself and take your coaching to another level that you, you didn't even know was possible, um, I can't wait to work with you inside DVA. Uh, so yeah, um, some other updates. We... I just wrapped up our coaches workshop and I'm super excited for everyone that came on the coaches workshop. I got a lot of great feedback from coaches and they, they told me they, I had coaches that took like four or five pages of notes and a lot of coaches had a ton of progress. I'm um, so really, really excited. And thank you everyone that joined us for that free workshop. I hope you got value out of it. And if you need anything, don't hesitate to reach out um, because it was a great, we had amazing coaches on. It was a great vibe. Uh, and yeah, so really, really thankful for that. All right, so let's get to today's episode. We have a uh, special guest. I'm really, really privileged to have this guest on. You know, there are a lot of people in, in in the space that are strength training coaches and vertical jump coaches, but this individual um, specializes in volleyball players. So that, that that takes you to another level. And for volleyball coaches out there, this is going to be a great episode for you. So if you're if you're driving, you're going to want to come back. If you're not driving, you're going to want to make sure you take some notes because we're going to dial in to figure out how you can teach your athletes, you know, how to jump higher, how to swing harder, how to be, you know, how to prevent injuries and, and all these great things we're going to talk about. So I'm super excited to welcome on Reed Hall to the pod. Reed, what's going on, man? Hey, thanks for having me, Brian. Really excited to be here and, you know, 
to expand some of my knowledge to these hungry coaches that are wanting to learn. But yeah, I'm excited to be here and share any knowledge or experiences that I've had. I mean, my specialty is help what I say, helping volleyball jump, players jump higher and gain strength intelligently by working smarter instead of just harder. And I think I think that's a direction that, you know, a common theme that you can always work harder and harder. And that was me when I was younger, I was constantly working harder, but I was working myself to the ground to the point that I was having injuries, right? So I was motivated, I was disciplined, I'm just going in the wrong direction. So I really like helping educate people on be able to train in a more intentional and direct path, you know, to jump higher, safer and to get stronger more safely, right? No, man, I absolutely love it. All right, well, really quickly, you want to take a few minutes and just let our listeners know, you know, your, a little bit of your background, who you are, what you do and things like that. Go ahead. So yeah, I'm like, I just, I'm just a pretty big volleyball nerd in general, but I played the game. So a lot of my experiences came from actually playing. So when I was in high school, I was the short skinny kid that didn't jump very high. So like not ideal. And I played beach volleyball and indoor volleyball. And I was like a, a really insecure athlete. Like I look at the taller athletes. I'm like, Oh man, I'm short. I don't got any bounce. Like I got nothing here, but things started to transform for me when I met action an actual strength coach. Right. So <clears throat> this one period of a year changed everything for me so in one year i gained eight inches on my spike touch and it was through gaining consistent small weekly improvements we ended up getting to represent our country at the u18 world championships for beach volleyball where we finished fourth in the world and that was really eye-opening for me because in the semifinals we played against poland and you might know these names we played against kubiak who was like the captain of the polish national team and bartman and we lost them in a very tight match but we were like little kids playing against these grown men absolutely hammering balls and i was just like man there's a big gap between where where I am and their physicality. So I kept kind of chipping away, getting a little bit stronger, a little bit faster. And as I got stronger, I noticed the way I viewed the game changed because then when I saw the taller athletes on the other side, I was like, ah, oh, I'm going to be faster than you. I'm going to jump higher than you. So I felt like the strength and conditioning really gave me a competitive advantage. And if I never did that, I would have never been able to play on our national team. And I was always kind of an outlier because I'm the short little dude. So that's what first made me fall in love with the physical training was getting the opportunity to, to better myself. But I stopped playing with our national team or at the professional level like 12 years ago. And all I've done since then is train volleyball players. So about uh, seven years ago, we opened a facility called the Athlete Matrix, where we've been training a lot of our top national team volleyball players down to youth athletes. And just recently this year, I've now transitioned my things over into Burlington. But um, this past year was a crazy year because one of the athletes I've trained for the past five years, Sophie Bukovic, she finished second place this year at the World Championships. And her story is super inspiring. If I don't know if you want to get into that now, but you know, two years ago, not in the national team, no beach partner, not competing, just training. We're just getting after training, training, training. And then what happened after the Olympics, some of the beach teams split up and she got an opportunity to play with like another athlete that played in the past Olympics, Brandy. Within four tournaments of playing together, they're in the finals of the world championships in a position to become number one. So for her, I thought it was such an inspiring story of strength and conditioning because she never knew what the future was going to hold. So she just kept her foot on the gas and bettering herself. And when the opportunity came, she was ready. So I would say that's more or less my background. I'm just, I train volleyball players six days a week, both online and in a location in Burlington. So I feel like I'm pretty nerdy with it, with the strength and conditioning. And I hope to give some deeper insights as we get through here. No, man, I love it. And I could tell, I could, I could hear the passion in your voice. I, I, I see, I, I could tell that this is what you do and you're invested in And I love it. So let's, let's dial in. And, and that's actually a really cool story. Uh, I, I didn't know that I, I I've seen this success from Sophie and I was like, wow, that's pretty cool to hear, you know, the, the background and things like that. So, uh, so that's nice. All right, let's, um, let's dial into some vertical jump stuff. 
So this is interesting for me because I've actually never had a vertical jump coach on here because as many of our listeners know, that's, that's what I've done for years. So, uh, but I'm so, I'm, I'm excited to get to, you know, talk to another vertical jump specialist and hear your insight on what coaches can do to start getting their athletes to jump higher. So this is gonna, this is kind of more of a, an open-ended question. And with that, I want to give you the floor. So really quickly, just, you know, how can coaches start getting their athletes to jump higher? That's okay. like, I'm gonna let you take it, take over. I think the first thing you have to do as a coach is you got to assess the context of the situation. Okay. So some teams are playing volleyball like four or five days a week, right? So what is volleyball? Every time you play volleyball, it's essentially a high volume plyometric workout and a stop and go type of sport, right? So it's a lot of repetitive jumping, right? So one of the things I see coaches do is they're like, oh, I want my athletes to jump higher. So I need them jumping more. But the problem is, is they're already exposed to that stimulus so frequently in practice that you start exposing that stimulus to them again outside of practice. And they're not going to jump higher because you're already overworking that one stimulus. So when it comes to jumping higher, you got to think, okay, are they busy with volleyball? Okay, if they're super busy with volleyball, then we need to focus more on getting them stronger and developing more power through like the lifting based exercise they're doing, depending on their age. And then if you're adding more plyometric exercise, when their schedule is already busy, it has to be very purposeful. Meaning that if you're adding plyometrics, it either has to help you improve on something from a technical aspect, or you need to know the attribute that you're actually training, right? And so for a coach that might be over their head. And so what I really recommend is exposing your athletes to fundamental strength exercise because they'll do that from now until they're in the university and professional they're always going to be working on getting stronger but now if it comes to an athlete and you know volleyball they're only playing volleyball like twice a week so that's pretty low volume right so then you can start sprinkling more volleyball specific things or more jumping based things and you're okay because you have balance within your week so whenever it comes to training i like to look at these four categories, right? There's strength training, there's jump technique, there's increasing your power output, and there's training so that you're healthy and injury free, right? So those are four different buckets. So you just want to make sure you're allocating your energy according to those different buckets. Say that again. If, I, sorry, I missed that. Strength training, jump So technique. strength, like your athletes need to get stronger, right? Yeah. If you want them to jump higher, they need to get technically better at jumping. Number three is they need to increase their power output. So their ability to apply force quickly. And then the fourth one, is we need to train our athletes, one, to try to prevent injuries now, but to develop a body that can withstand the rigorous stress of volleyball when it gets busier coming up. So the way I like to explain it as a coach is like, your athletes jumping higher. Well, I can get athletes to jump higher by just getting stronger. We didn't even do anything volleyball specific. So that's why I'm saying you need to assess the context because the way that you'll train your athletes are a little bit different. But at the end of the day, if you're going to jump higher, it's because you made small weekly improvements. So whatever exercise you're doing, you kind of just want like, how can I be a little bit better at this exercise? Maybe I got to hold it a little bit longer, or maybe you have to use a little lighter weight or heavier weight, or maybe you have to move the weight faster, right? So as long as you have good exercise, you're not doing too many of them and we're tracking our results, but we're making consistent small weekly improvements what people don't understand more is not better better is better and if you're doing something better that means you know instead of doing seven push-ups last week you're doing eight this week instead of doing you know nine single leg squats to the bench well this week i had better control so it's really that like small consistent weekly improvements that really snowball and build up right so can i just interrupt for one sec uh you brought up a good point you know volleyball itself is repetitive so let's say for example that you're doing before we get in, we dive into these four categories if you are going let's say three, four times a week of on-core practice, what would that, that in itself, you said as a lot of plyo work and things like that built into the volleyball sport, what would a strength training schedule look like? Forget what they're actually doing, yeah. but what, what, what let's talk schedule. 
So if they're they're playing volleyball three to four times per week, that's considered like a, a moderate schedule, like moderate to busy. It's not like busy, busy. Um, so I would recommend doing work on your strength and power development three days a week, right? And the goal of these workouts, like if your goal is to jump higher, be more powerful and to hit harder, then you need to make sure you're training things that can do that. One, one increasing your strength will do that and things to train your power, right? But for both of those things, it doesn't mean you have to do a ton of repetitions, a ton of volume, a ton of sets, because that's what breaks you down and makes you feel excessively sore the next day. So the busier volleyball is like three to four days a week, your training has to allocate strength, power development, but don't do as much as the extra stuff because that's the stuff that's going to break you down. So when right. I work with like university teams, right, they're playing like six days a week. The starters are till, still doing two physical workouts per week. Non-stars are doing three physical workouts per week. And every other day, they're doing a 15 minute routine to take care of their body. One might be biased towards like ankle, knee and hip health. And another one might be biased towards, you know, thoracic mobility and shoulder health. So although they're doing things very frequently, you know, it, it, it's a balanced approach to training. And what about twice a week? Volleyball twice a week? Yeah, volleyball twice a week. Depending on their age, like if they're if they're like younger, like under 15, like you really only need to be doing two to three workouts per week. If you're older, that's a good time to be doing like four workouts per week and really progressing things. And not all your workouts should be like a 10 out of 10 difficulty. You got to cycle the intensity, right? So maybe you have two workouts per week that are at eight or nine or like an eight or nine out of 10 difficulty, another two that are like a seven out of 10, right? So you got to fluctuate the intensities and kind of like balance out the week so that the pieces fit in properly. Okay. No, I like that. So uh, I like the, I like the university schedule. So the university guys that are practicing like five to six times a week, or at least getting some kind of volleyball, let's just say five days a week. Um, you're going to two strength training workouts uh, two strength training workouts. Uh, then we're doing, um, a th every day, 15 minutes of strength of injury prevention and rehabilitation. Yeah. It's what we call like body care type of exercise. So for instance, stuff to like, just work on their mobility or strengthening weak points, like your glutes or your rotator cuff. Yeah. So yep. more of the minor stuff, but it's important for the, especially right. the really busy volleyball players. So two strength training, a 15 minute injury every day. And then was it one more thing? Yeah, the non-starters we would oh, do non three days a week because they get more days off because if they're essentially they're resting on the days where you know yeah. the starters are competing or it's just a little less intensive, right? No, no, absolutely. Okay, perfect. All right, I got the I got the schedule. Sorry, I cut you off earlier. Um, so let's talk about your four uh your your four attributes here. We'll start off with strength training. Uh, let's talk about how we how we train strength training for volleyball players. Yeah. And so the first thing I think is important to understand about getting stronger is you'll find a lot of athletes by like not even just by simply getting stronger jump higher, but some do not. But what strength training does, getting stronger will increase the capacity of how much higher you could jump if we improve on the other categories, right? And now when it comes to strength training, I'm more talking about like lower body stuff right now for the time being. So you got to understand you have both bilateral exercise. So that's exercise where you use two feet at a time. That'd be like a back squat, a front squat, a deadlift. And then you have unilateral exercise, exercise where you use one leg at a time. I really recommend you have the equal, like pretty equal amount between bilateral exercise and single leg exercise. So for instance, if one day a week, the athlete's back squatting on one day, well, that other day, they should be doing a single leg squat, a split squat, right? If you have them trap our deadlifting on another day, have them do like a single leg posterior chain exercise on the other day right and then what i recommend with their strength exercise is about every five weeks or so you want to rotate out the strength exercise and add some new ones in there 
And the most important thing when it comes to strength is making small weekly improvements. But here's a framework. So this is really important to understand because when you're playing volleyball and you're getting stronger, your question is, should I increase the weight this day on this day or not? And it's kind of hard to decide. So here's, here's the, what happens, right? So say I was at your practice last night and you just jumped me like twice as much as I normally did. I'm exhausted the next day. My knees sore, right? So that next day when I work out, I might not be able to increase, but here's the framework you want to do. You want to do warm up sets until you build up to the weight that you did last week. Okay. If you get to the weight you did last week and at the end of the set, you're like, Oh, I got two or more good repetitions left in the tank. Like I could do two or more good ones. That's an indication to make a small increase in weight or maybe add a rep depending on what you're doing. But what often happens, you'll build up the weight you did last week. It's still a grind. It's still tough. Well, that week, maybe you don't increase. You stay at the same weight, but try to move the weight faster. Or there's going to be another day where you're having a bad day. It just doesn't feel good. And you're better off doing that set. Oh, I felt bad. Reduce the weight and focus on moving it faster. So what happens with volleyball players and, get, and gaining strength when they're playing volleyball, you can't say, oh, I want you to increase by this amount every week because the weeks are so variable based on how recovered you are. So at the end of the day, you're trying to make small weekly improvements, but you want frameworks to make good decisions. But if you have appropriate balance between exercise with two legs at a time and single leg exercise, they're going to be both developing like the strength, strength, I'm getting a lot stronger, but also the strength and stability that you need with the single leg exercise as well. Perfect. Okay. So I like the 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 differentiation between the bilateral and the in the unilateral stuff the two legs and one leg at a time um i really like that the weight is is not like i like what you said it's not just here is the plan and here's what we're going to do it's universal for everyone and which is what a lot of people go online and find like follow this workout plan and stick to the schedule you're going to be great no no i love what you said because it depends you know and i love the um if you're at a point in your training, so at the end of the week and you're lifting the current weight and you have two or more left in the tank that you think you can you can do, then that's an indication to increase the weight. Mm -hmm. But if it's like if you're struggling still when you're finishing that set, then you may want to you know keep that weight until you can do that uh, a little bit better you know the following week. And then in addition to the fact that you might be exhausted based on how much working out you're doing to keep so that so it's what's the the point there that I think I like is the weight is dependent on the athlete and mm -hmm. it's dependent on. This, and every athlete is going to be different, but how you gauge it is if they had the ability to do two more, two to two or more of a of that set. That's an indication that you know what we could have we could have increased that weight. Uh, let's let's talk in general here. Let's let's go exercises. What are um what are some of the bilateral exercises that are important for volleyball players, and then what are some of the unilaterally exercises that are important for volleyball players? Yeah. So, and I mean, like it, it has to be individualized further to the athlete, but the common bilateral exercises are the best are either different back squatting or front squatting variations, right? So you could do a deeper, slower with heavier weight. You could use lighter weight, smaller range of motion. You could add bands on there. So back squats, front squat, front squats, trap bar deadlifts. If you don't have a trap bar, then doing like a, a rack pull, like a barbell rack pull, you know, a barbell hip thrust. So those would be your big bilateral exercise where you're able to load up quite a bit more. So you can either do it heavier for strength or you can do it lighter for speed and power but those would be your big one and then when it comes to single leg exercise so I like to group them as like, is it a more of a quad dominant exercise or a posterior chain exercise? But for the quad dominant exercise, any like step up variation, single leg squats, split squats, rear foot elevate split squats, like you're never going to go wrong with doing those, right? And then for the posterior chain, 
single leg glute bridges, one leg hip thrust, those type of exercise, right? And so what you want to think about is, especially if they're in season, like think, have one quad dominant exercise in the workouts, whether that's a bilateral one, like a squat or a single leg one, right? Have at least one posterior chain exercise. You got other things that fill in, right? The next workout, right? If you did a bilateral like squat on that day, do a unilateral, do a split squat on this day. If you did a bilateral, you know, posterior chain on that one, then pick a single leg one and you can kind of balance out with the equation. What I think a lot of people make mistakes is when they think they're going to jump higher, they're going to do more. So they add multiple, like a ton of different quad different dominant exercise in that one workout. But what they don't understand is when you're increasing your strength or power, we're using low reps. We're doing long rest periods. We're maximum intent every rep. As soon as you get too fatigued, you're no longer working on that stimulus anymore. And then when you keep doing those other exercise, it's just aiding into, you know, feeling sore, broken down, right? Uh, You brought up a good point. And I think I want to talk about that. Uh, the posterior chain. Uh, not many people know what that is. And, and in terms of volleyball strength training, it is super important that you know what that is. Uh, can you explain what that is and why it's so important and wh- how we got to train it? Yeah. So our posterior chain is kind of like the muscle groups that run on the backside of our body. So if you think like, you know, your calves, your hamstrings, your butt into your back, it's the backside of your body. Right. And it, it's, it's, it's extremely important, right? Our like our glutes are like our biggest, most powerful muscle group in our body. If we want to jump higher then we probably want to train our glutes, right? Our hamstrings. Well, our hamstrings, glutes, all that area is super important for preventing injuries like ACLs. Right. So it needs to be trained. Well, like you really want to think that the amount of stuff that you're doing for like your quadriceps or like the front of your body, you're doing like a similar amount, if not the same amount for the back of your body, which we call your posterior chain, right? So posterior chain is important to get stronger, both for like injury prevention, because volleyball is a really volatile sport of a lot of arm swing. So we need to keep like our back or glute strong. It's for performance. So sprinting faster, jumping higher. And it's also for like posture related things, right? Volleyball is weird. We sit all day, right? At a desk, like a lot of these kids, right? They sit all day. They're excessively tight. Their glutes aren't firing and then they go and try and be really explosive right we need to be training those muscle groups regularly so everything just kind of functions well right yeah no absolutely i love it and it's it's such an important point like to make sure that's in that's in your programming so uh in, in terms of wrapping up the strength training portion here um uh basically we have the bilateral the unilateral so bilateral is two legs at a time unilateral is one leg at a time uh, I really like the every five weeks, change your exercises up a little bit. Uh, I love that. that That's so important. Don't do the same thing for like a, a, an entire season. And without a doubt, your body needs to hit things at different angles and different, uh, you know, just different exercises. The increasing the weight we talked about. And once you can do two or more reps, you know, that's an, that's an indication that, sorry, two or more reps uh, that you have left in the tank, you know, the very last end of your rep range that you're doing for your set, that might be an indication to uh, increase it. Then we had some examples of bilateral. So the back squatting, the front squatting, uh, trap bar deadlifts, barbell hip thrusts. Those are really good ones. Unilaterally, we have the step up. So step up variations, single mm-hmm. leg squats, uh, split squats. Uh, anything else for the sing- for the unilateral one? I, I, I might have missed one. Single leg squats, split squats. Yeah. Step up, single leg RDLs. Uh, I mean, there's one leg hip thrust. Uh glute bridge marches. Um, there, there's all kinds of ones you can stick in there. I also like doing a lot of single leg isometric exercise where you're holding a fixed position. So you're in like a, a lunge position, you're just holding that position right. or you're in a wall set, you go into a single leg wall set. I love that stuff. If in we were, t- since we're talking to coaches, 
I've now been training volleyball players for 13 years. I've never seen a volleyball player ever in my life get injured while doing an isometric exercise. You cannot go wrong with making the athletes hold fixed positions. One, they might hate you because they're really hard, but two, it's going to offer them a lot of benefit and there's like zero risk of getting hurt. So the value in the exercise is really high. And that would be like single legs, like wall sits, uh, lunge ISO holds, regular wall sits. Um, you could do like a single leg glute bridge hold, right? Uh, different holds that you can do for your calves and things like that. I think isometric exercise are one thing that's uh, too overlooked in a, a volleyball player's training. I like that. I didn't realize that's, that's a really great point. 13 years, no one's gotten injured. So coaches, yeah, absolutely. Uh, no, no, I love that. Okay. Let's, uh, let's move on to some jump technique. What do you got to say about that? Oh, yeah, actually, I, first, first of all, before I continue, did you have any, anything else you wanted to add to that strength training section? No, when it comes to strength training, just like anything, start with easier, more foundational things and, and progress evolve and evolve things over time, right? Start with higher value exercise where you can improve without getting hurt and then layer on the complexity as the athletes develop. But I, I think that probably most people are already be understanding of that. Right. No, no, good point. No, absolutely. Okay. Let's do the, let's talk about jump technique. What do you got for that? Yeah. So the first thing is like, people are like, read, like people often ask me like, Reed, I want to jump higher. How fast can I add inches to my jump? I'm like, well, the, the most inches you're going to gain over your whole career is because just growth and maturation, like genetics, you're growing, maturing, but it's just getting way stronger, more powerful. That's how you add your most inches. But if you want to add the quickest inches, it's by getting technically better at your approach mechanics and jumping higher. Right? So one of the things is, is like people do a lot of things in the weight room and I'm getting stronger. I'm getting more physical and doesn't necessarily translate on the court to me approaching faster and jumping higher because there's other limitations with your approach and your mechanics. Maybe you're constantly leaving too early on your approach, right? Maybe you're slowing down. Maybe you're changing directions in your approach, right? So I think developing the actual technical skill of good approach and jump mechanics is really, really important. And there's a few things I like to like see from volleyball players. And I'm sure you've talked about this a million times. One, depending on what position they're playing, making sure they're leaving late or at least forcing themselves to accelerate in the ball, right? That allows them to move very intentionally, right? Number two, that second last step, which is your penultimate stride, that step really helps accelerate your body. And that's a step that a lot of volleyball players have difficulty with it. Like you'll see it's slow. It's not very big or they're slowing down too early. And then the third thing is your arm drive, the actual power of your arm drive. So when I jumping, it's the swing of my arm drive. And the fact that that's got to lead my hips and the timing of it, those three areas. So leaving late on your approach and making sure you're accelerating, making sure that second last step called your penultimate stride is fast, big, and is, is properly aligned your body. And the third one is having a really powerful arm drive. Those three things I think are really critical. I mean, you can get like super nerdy into the biomechanics of this stuff, but those three areas I think are pretty critical. Couldn't agree more. Yep. I'll talk about them. Absolutely. I actually, I like, and I've never said this before, but this is interesting, leaving a little bit later so it forces you to accelerate on the ball, right? I mean, obviously, you, you don't want to be early because then you're going to swing yeah. under the ball and and then you're not going to maximize your jump and all that stuff. So it just intentionally leaving a little bit later. That's, that's really cool. I've never can, thought about that way. Can I expand on that too? Because yeah, yeah, I've exactly. got like some of Okay, so here's what I... and. I guess this would be, uh, this is more when I, I envision a high school volleyball player that wants to get a lot better. They play club and all this stuff, right? And so what happens is 
they're, they're approaching to hit a ball in practice and they're always leaving a little late and a little slow. And it's a little tentative, right? And that's what they're always doing. And the problem is it's really hard to improve by doing that because all your mistakes that you're making, you're making on the side of being tentative. So what I like to force them to do is even sometimes feel like they're leaving too late or forced to capture the ball too much. What happens is you start swinging harder. You're able to move the ball more intentionally, like keep the ball in front of you. You're going to start making more errors when you're in practice. So it's going to be like you make an error. The next one you're in a position you hit the ball better than ever. Error, error, success, success, error, error, success, success. And over time, you've now leveled up. You can't level up unless you don't focus on accelerating faster, really maximizing your jump swing. Like if you're not testing your body's capabilities within practice and being cool with making errors over and over again, you really don't level up that skill. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, no, 100%. And um, I, I want to touch on something like you said earlier, uh, changing direction. Um, yeah. We want to avoid changing direction because when you change direction, you change speed and you're not able to accelerate and all that stuff. And so that's one of the big problems about leaving early on your approach, right? So if you leave early on your approach and your setter leaves you too far inside or too far off the net, now you have to slow down and change direction. Right. So for me, like I actually, I set all through until my, believe this, I switched to an outside hitter in my third year university. But for, for okay. me, I always, cause I'm a short dude, I always took pride on leaving way after the ball. And I could like the set was left way inside. I would catch up to it and I create my own seams because the blockers weren't able to adjust, but I'm still able to get in the ideal location. The setter set me the ball way off the net. I'm waiting. I'm waiting just one powerful step. I can keep it in front of me. I can put the ball away. So as a smaller player, you have to utilize your energy more like it has to be even better, right? So you have to wait longer, make sure you're aligning your body properly, not slowing down. I have to max jump when I'm in rally every single time as high as I can. Where the Goonie guy that's 6'8", he can get away with jumping 50%, right? How, how tall are you? I'm 6'1", but I round up to 6'1", but... Oh, for, are you really? That, yeah. yeah, that's pretty good. That's, that is under... By the way, that is undersized for a, for the men's game. Um, So that's that's pretty cool. So if you're a six foot six one player, uh, you have a shot of playing college ball. Just remember that. Uh, nice. Okay. Let's, let's talk about the, these three things. Is there a way coaches can train these things for their athletes? Uh, are we talking like jump technique for that? Yeah. Athletes? The jump technique. Yeah. Is there so a way to train these? Absolutely. Uh, well, I think, I think the big thing first is the coach is actually just learning and understanding this, like what the body positions look like. Like, yeah. uh, for instance, like the idea that when I'm approaching my torso is supposed to be very tall instead of falling forward. Right. So what happens is coaches see like NFL combine, they watch the athletes doing these counter movement jump, their torso way forward and using all these extra and like, Oh, that's how my athletes jump higher where a volleyball approach and jump is a very unique, unique thing that you're doing. It's different than jumping in a lot of other sports. So understanding the approach footwork, understanding which steps are supposed to be bigger. The other thing is also, especially in indoor, the, the angles that you plant your feet, the angles that you plant your feet determine the trajectory of your jump. And I can get really nerdy with this, but also positions your torso. So you're more open to the court on what swings you're going to attack on. Like if you ever watch a jump server or someone hitting a big set, you're going to see their feet facing very far forward and they're creating a lot of horizontal distance, meaning they're jumping into the court. So when your feet are forward. You can have that forward translation, but when you're a left side, right? You got to plant on sharper angles because you now need to kind of decelerate and like transition into your jump, but it has to be more vertical. You can't go as far forward and we never torso open. So understanding the footwork, right? Understanding my foot position when I plant and how it affects my body. And the number three, the arm drive, the sequencing of the arm drive and what that looks like. So I think the first layer as coaches is just getting educated on what those positions look like. Because when then you know what they look like, you know, you can start to casually give your athlete some subtle feedback, right? Uh, I, another thing is like, 
when you're atta- like approaching to hit a ball in your approach, it's a very, very complex skill. I think it's one of the most complex skills in any sports. Like it's kind of like I'm dunking an alley-oop in basketball every time I'm attacking a ball, right? So the worst thing I feel like you can do, like the athletes respond well if you give them one focus at a time, like leave late and accelerate, faster arm drive you know, focus on a bigger second last step, accelerate through that. Like if it just one coaching keyword goes a long way. So one, I would get to understand what those three areas that I mentioned look like your footwork, right? Foot positioning, arm drive Two, start giving the athletes one focus at a time that they can apply and then start building it on from there. I normally like to, to give my athletes, like if I'm telling them to focus on something in practice, it's one or two things at the end of practice. I don't care about how good they did, like the outcomes, like, like, did you score points? Did you do one of those two things better than you did last time? Yes. Okay. That's a successful practice because we're on the pursuit of getting better over the long term. Right. I don't know. I, I kind of rambled on there, but I, I think at least in my opinion, those are some important points. No, they are. So, so to start, a coach needs to understand the footwork, you know, posture, arm drive. And it's funny you said posture. I added that into a fourth thing because I think that's super important as well. Because uh, you're absolutely right about like, looking at NFL combine, seeing guys drop their chest. You know, we want our chest high, we want our head up, and things like that. Uh, give athletes one thing to focus on at a time. So now that we understand that, though, is there a way that coaches can train this now so they understand yeah. it, they know what they're supposed to look for, then they know the, the one or two keys. How do we go about in a practice training these things now? Yeah, so I include things. I think the like your warm up is when you start including some of these patterning things because whenever it comes to improving a pattern, like your approach pattern, your arm drive, it you need the the stimulus regularly. It needs to be consistent, but you don't need a lot of it at any given time. That's why I like to include things in your warm up. So there's a few drills that I really like to include in the warm up. One I just call push to load. And what that is, essentially, if you're right-handed, you're just focusing on the final two steps of your approach, and there's no jump. So you have your weight on your left foot. You take that big second-last step. You work on your feet and your arms. You're just working on connecting the movement. So that second-last step and coordinate with my arm drive. And I just kind of do that push to load. I'll do like multiple sets of that, right? And then because I'm not jumping, I'm still warming up. And then I'll do a couple sets where I push to load and jump. And I'm just working on accelerating through those final two steps and connecting my arm drive. And because during your warm up, you need to get your heart rate up anyways, it's a good thing to stick in there. And I'm talking, you spend like two minutes on these things. And if you include it always in your warm, it's going to really help you, right? I got some other exercise I do in our warm up that just focuses essentially on it's I call it load to extend. It's just working on your arm drive where you're loading and just working on the timing of your arm drive. And I mean, we work on this for 30 seconds. We do 10 arm drives, rest for a second, do 10 arm drives, rest for a second. With the arm drives, we're specifically working on like my jump technique without jumping. So I'm in a static position, like I'm going to jump, but I'm working on the time my arms accelerate my hips, right? Um, so I think you could just include some good things in there. It's it's hard to explain the specific drills and exercise to do through just like verbalizing it to you. But uh, I mean, if you check it out, if you check out my Instagram at Reed's Workouts, you'll find a bunch of stuff there, or you just go onto YouTube and just find some good approach stuff that you can work on specifically in the warm-up. I like to think warm-up should be about six to eight minutes. Uh, you should do not too many dynamic stretches, just a couple, don't like overdo it. And then start moving into things that, you know, like shuffling patterns, approach patterns, and building up the intensity, getting the heart rate up, getting the blood flow, the muscles, and working on the more boring technical things during that time, because they're able to do that on a relatively consistent basis, right? All right. So um, we have, so the push to load, I like that actually push to load, not actual jump. So you're basically just working on your, um, your last two steps essentially to getting that, yeah. getting that load and that, but you're not actually jumping. And then you switch to now jumping. So we're still working on connecting that footwork and then load to extend the arm drive, working on the arm drive, which is really good. Uh, six to eight minute warm up. I like, um, and I mean, is it safe to say that, you know, 
when it, when it's working, when you're working on approach, I mean, you can literally do drills where you work on your approach and you give feedback to the things that you just mentioned. So you do, you go have like, for example, let, um, let your players do six to eight reps of approach jumps, like their actual approach jump. And then you can assess their approach jump and look for the key things that you just mentioned. Is that a, is that a safe? Absolutely. The, the, yeah. the way they're going to get the best of their approach and attacking is actually in practice doing it. Right. But I, I'm saying for like the more boring technical stuff without the ball, that's more of like a block type of drill. Like you don't yeah, want to yeah. do a lot of it, but if you just insert in the warm, cause you got to warm up anyway, I feel it benefit there, but definitely the best you're going to get is when the athletes are actually approaching and attacking you giving feedback. But the same thing that I said to the coaches, like coaches, you need to know the focus work of the pattern but your athletes also know because if you're giving them feedback but they don't actually understand what the approach looks like what the body position should be like you give them feedback and it's pretty random it's hard to digest right but if they've seen what looks right and what they're doing and how it is wrong maybe it's video or whatever it is and then you're giving the feedback one they have the knowledge two now they're like okay yeah they saw that and then they can really apply it i find like coaches sometimes just screaming out too many random like keywords or feedback words where yeah. the athlete can't actually digest and utilize it properly because it doesn't make sense to them. Right. Okay. No, perfect. This is great. All right. Let's, um, let's transition to increase power output. That was the fourth thing you talked or third thing you mentioned. Yeah. So the one thing I like to, to tell people, so you could get stronger and maybe not jump higher unless we get technically better at jumping and become more powerful. So your, your power is just your ability to apply force quickly, right? And so um, I'll explain this quickly. This might be a little bit nerdy, but there's kind of a continuum between strength and speed, and we grade it by contraction speed. So if strength is up here, right, that's you lifting really heavy weight, few reps, really heavy, right? Under Just under that is called, it's called strength speed. Now you're using like a little bit like moderate loads, like Olympic lifts or loaded jumps type of thing where you're using lighter loads. So that would be called strength speed. Then you have speed strength. We're using very light loads. So like, say like doing dumbbell squat jumps with 20 pound weight. And then the end farthest end of the spectrum is called speed. And that's just like max jump, max body weight, thing, sprinting, jumping over stuff. Right. So power kind of fits in that mid range there. It's not strength. It's not super heavy. We're not using no weight. It's kind of in that in between area. And as a volleyball player, if you're going to jump higher, you need to exert more power outputs, your ability to apply force really, really quickly. So, I mean, this is trained in many different ways, but um, generally when you're working under training, like increasing your power output is generally one of the focuses. And it's going to come from using lighter loads, doing like dumbbell squat, sorry, dumbbell squat jumps, doing back squats with lighter weight, but we're focused on moving the weight faster. So a lot of the big lifts that we said that were good, like trap bar, deadlifts, back squat, front squats, you can do those exercise, but with 60 or 70% of the weight that you can do and move it faster or jump with it, like a barbell squat jump or a trap bar jump, right? That's developing your power output. And that's like an absolute critical part of jumping higher. So if you get stronger, but you're not powerful, you didn't get any more powerful, then you're unlikely jumping higher, right? You, you need both of those things. So think if you're doing a workout plan and you only have strength exercise, you only have exercise where you're lifting heavy and slow. Well, some athletes are going to start feeling slow. So you need to offset and make sure you have a nice balance of power-based exercise. Exercise where you're using a little bit lighter weight or no weight and moving it. And the tension is, I got to move this faster. I got to get off the ground quicker. I got to exert more power output, right? Yeah, no, I love this. Okay, so we have four, like we have a, let's, let's, pretend this is like a road and at the top of the road, you have the strength, not a road, a ladder. That's a better way. A ladder, the top of the ladder, you have the strength training, which is the heavy. Then we have strength speed, which is lighter than that. So moderate load where you can execute speed. 
Then you said is it speed, speed strength, strength. speed so strength, speed strength. Very, very like a lot lighter load. Yeah, think like throwing med balls, dumbbell squat jumps, light stuff. Yeah. Oh, I like that. Okay, so like med ball throws, stuff like that. And then the last one is just straight speed. Yeah, and that would be like sprinting or doing hurdle jumps, completely unweighted as unweighted, fast as you can. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, I love that. And, okay. and so the reason why I do say about these contraction speeds is you'll find some athletes might be really fast, but they're weak and they want to jump higher. Well, how do I get them to jump higher? Oh, I got to get that athlete stronger, right? So if you know those four levels, you know what their athlete's good at and sucks at or is not, sorry, not as good at. We know yeah. what way to bias the training. Or I see a lot of athletes that are like super strong, but they're super slow. So do, we, do I need to do this? just exercise like a ton of strength work well no he's just going to stay where he is you need a bias towards speed or at the other end of the continuum right this athlete's really strong but slow we need a bias down here more this athlete's very fast and dynamic but weak then we need a bias more towards the strength end of the spectrum right so it allows just some like simple ways of biasing training into one direction or the other right so would you say if you're with, with this phase we would want to go strength speed speed strength like in that range that area if uh when or like the athletes are in season yeah sure why not yeah that's okay are yeah when the athletes are in season yeah i focus on yeah just strength and power with a little bit of speed type of thing and and you and the exercise that you cut out are like really high volume exercise exercise where you're doing a ton of repetitions like doing like sets of like 15 per side reverse lunges like that's not going to be something you're going to want to do in season because that's going to make you sore and it's not working on your power output it's working on your functional hypertrophy so anything that's like more and more and more repetitions you want to have less of that in season does that make sense yep no no it does all right so if uh and you talked about so dumbbell squat jumps that would be considered speed strength yeah, speed strength. Because normally when we're doing that, you're using like, think, 15-pound dumbbells or 20-pound dumbbells, right? So okay. so strength, so it goes strength, then it goes strength speed, right? Think yeah. of like an Olympic lift or a barbell squat. Like you're using still moderate weight, but it's fast. And then speed strength is really light loads or light implements or whatever you're using. And then it's just speed in there, right? Speed yeah, is okay, all got it. So if so, based on the the beginning, when we talked about the strength training stuff, like the bilateral, unilateral, all that, all that stuff, that that can be coupled with strength or strength speed, right? Yeah. UK. So like, a, so like think of a lunge variation, right? I could do a lunge super heavy and slow. That's strength. I could use a lot. I could do a lunge where it's like lighter weight and move really fast in the way up, or I can do a lunge with no weight and I can jump with it. And you've hit all different aspects of the continuum there, right? Ah, I love that. So, oh man, I don't want to jump over the thing here, but okay. So if I'm, if I'm in season, now I scratch that. Let's say actually no in season, what do we say we're doing two to three times a week? Okay, fine. Yeah. If I'm in season and I'm doing, let's say I'm doing two strength training workouts a week. So would, would I have specific days where I focus on strength and specific days where I focus on like speed strength or strength speed? Oh, that's a I really good question. So the way I would do it in season is I'd make a, both workouts, if they're just two workouts, you want to make them both full body workouts and you want to include strength and power in the same workout. Um, let me give you an example workout. Okay. I'm just going to, can I want me to make up an in season? Yeah, yeah, right yeah, yeah. So this is good because they could write it out. Okay. So we're what level university level are we talking here? Let's say like 17, 18 U. Cause I think majority of our coaches are okay. 17, 18 U ish. 
Okay, 17, 18 U. I'm assuming they've been doing a little bit of training at this point, but if you have two workouts per week, right? The first workout, maybe my big exercise I'm gonna do is a back squat, okay? A back squat or a front squat, like adapt that to the athlete, okay? A back squat or a front squat. I'm gonna do three sets of five reps with a weight I could do seven times. So I'm gonna leave two reps in the tank. You know, I'm working on my strength, but I'm not completely exhausting myself, right? And then in the next block, maybe I'll, or like paired with my back squat, maybe I'll either pair it with a dumbbell squat jump. So that maybe that's my power attribute, or I would pair it with a shoulder health exercise because you know, they need to rest. So that's a good time to do like a rotator cuff exercise when you're resting from your squats, right? The next block, I'm going to choose a more posterior chain exercise because I did a back squat or a front squat. So, you know, think that's more squat dominant. Let's get something like a single leg RDL or uh, a dumbbell RDL. And maybe we're going to perform that with a, a powerful concentric phase. So powerful on the way up. And then we're going to pair that with an upper body exercise. Maybe we're doing a half kneeling shoulder press or a lamb press. And then the last block of exercise, do maybe like a lateral lunge. So something that's outside of our body and a core exercise. So we did only six exercise there, had some strength, it had some power, right? I could do my back squat heavier for strength. I could do it lighter for power, but it was very balanced. And I didn't do a lot of extra stuff, right? And then the next workout, because I did a back squat that first workout, maybe I'll do a hang clean, like something posterior chain or a trap bar deadlift, right? You got a trap bar deadlift for strength or for power, right? And when I'm doing my trap bar deadlift, maybe I'm going to pair it with either a jump, something explosive, or I'll pair it with a shoulder health exercise like T's and Y's, right? That next block, since I did a posterior chain dominant exercise in the first one, maybe the next one I'm going to do a single leg exercise, like a single leg squat or a split squat, right? And in the first work, I had a bilateral exercise and now I have a unilateral exercise. And at the end, maybe I do another ankle foot stability exercise, you know, a core exercise or like a pulling based exercise, right? So if there's only, if there's certain movements, right? There's a squat, there's a hinge, right? You could plank and hold something. You can push things and you can pull things, right? Between the squat, the hinge, the push and the pull, it should be rel relatively balanced. Like you should have like approximately the same number of exercise in each of those. Really in your workout, you can just, if you want to rule a thumb, just include one exercise in each one of those categories and you're not going to go wrong, right? Okay. So we have a back. So we start, let's say first workout in season, back squat or front squat three to five sets, a weight that you can do seven times. Yeah, like do five reps with a weight you can do seven times. So you're leaving two reps in the tank. So you're not taking it to exhaustion, but it's heavy enough that it's still giving you like a, a, a heavier okay. stimulus, right? Okay, but you're going to do it, but you're going to do it five times. Um, and then, and then after that, you could do like a, you said a, a dumbbell squat or a dumbbell squat jump or like a rotator cuff exercise since you just did your legs. Yeah. And then after that, we do um, single leg RDL. What's RDL? A single leg RDL. So like a, an RDL is like a hinge movement, right? What, so what does RDL like stand for? A Romanian deadlift. Oh. So a single leg RDL is like a, you're doing like a single leg hinge on one leg. So you'll see a lot of like, you'll see a common like a dumbbell single leg RDL or there's different variations of it. So yeah, it's, it's it. more of a, a stability. It's both a stability and a strength exercise. Yeah. But yeah, that's a common one. A really good one for preventing ACL tears or at least one that's, you know, could help support. Right. You know, and then after you do that, you can uh, couple that with a half kneeling shoulder press or something like that. You said, yeah. So you're going to have, you're going to, you're going to probably want some sort of pushing exercise. So a half kneeling shoulder press, and then yeah. the last block includes something to work on strength, your feet and ankles, and maybe a core exercise, right? Like um, lunges is what you said. 
Yeah. So like a, a, like a foot ankle exercise that you could do would be like a single leg, like a calf raise or a soleus raise or a tibialis raise, or just stabilizing on one leg. Right. And then, you know, you could pair that with a core exercise or maybe a pulling exercise. We haven't done a pulling exercise in this one. Maybe we're going to do like a half kneeling lat pull down or a seated row. Right. So once again, in your workout, you can't go wrong if you choose a squat pattern. That could be a squat or a lunge, a hinge pattern, right? A hinging pattern where you're hinging at your hips and a push and a pull and maybe toss in a core. If you have that, you're doing pretty well, right? And so that's what I tried to, to pick one of those exercises in each of those categories. Got it. No, no, that's really good. I like that. Okay. So yeah, we're hitting all four categories. Um, we're being mindful of the, the strength, speed, speed, uh, speed, strength. And you know, this is really good. Okay. Let's um, uh, actually, before we go into that, what if you have coaches who have, who are working with players that can, they don't have strength training time per se, so they can only do it at the beginning of practice. Uh, yeah. Not a lot of, they don't have access to a, a gym full of equipments with, you know, dumbbells and, and uh, you know, Olympic bars and things like that. How can coaches still give themselves a good workout to increase power output as well as strength training yeah. with limited you know resources? So do you, do you know that most NBA basketball teams, the players work out on the same days they play? They work out often. They'll sometimes work out at like 9 a.m. and then their game's at 7 p.m. And you're like, what the heck? Why are you doing that? Like, that doesn't right. make sense. But it's actually, there's something called post-activation potentiation. And so what this is, is if you do a workout, right? Or you do a lift, right? It's either a heavy strength exercise or a moderate weight that you're doing for fast and powerful, but you're not taking it to exhaustion. You're actually, uh, you're feeling more powerful. You're feeling more charged up. So if you just work on your strength and power through a few exercises, what you normally feel is you can warm up right away. You're able to tap into more muscle fibers and you can jump higher. So this post-activation potentiation is actually something that's been studied and proven. And so that's after like a period of time after doing a heavy strength exercise or a power exercise, you're temporarily able to increase your power output. So that's why you see some athletes will do like a heavy squat, they'll rest, and then they'll do some sort of jump. It's because they're using that post-activation potentiation. Now, sorry. And now if you're going to do this before practice, don't think you need to work out for a really long time, but pick a few exercises to do. So do like your most important ones, whether it's a back squat, a front squat, maybe it's an Olympic lift. So do that beforehand and say you're going to do, I'll do four, four sets of three reps, anywhere between three to five reps with a weight that I might be able to do five, six or seven times. So you're leaving anywhere between one to three reps in the tank, right? You're working on those attributes, but you're not taking it to exhaustion, right? Like three exercises is enough that you can do beforehand. And once again, before workout, you're going to want to stay away from doing like really high volume lunges, like a lot of repetitions, right? Because that's what's going to fatigue you. That's going to break you down. Because if I'm just working on the heavier lifts or the power lifts, my body's not getting fatigued. It's getting charged up. And once you're starting to get fatigued, that means you did too much because we don't want you to be exhausted for practice. We want you to be, we want you to use that as a performance enhancing, like your workout before practice can be enhance your performance instead of fatigue you. Does that right. make sense? Yep. And what happens when, when players don't have access to weights, like an yeah. Olympic bar or barbell, like dumbbell, and then the only time they can strength train is at, at practice or at home, quote unquote. So how do, how do athletes work with that? So that like, so when I was young and I was traveling, playing beach volleyball on our national team, I would always just have my one red resistance band. And a lot of my workouts were just me and that red resistance band. Man, do I love that band. We did a lot of good work together. There's a lot of things that you can do, but if you're, if you only have your body weight, things, think about like isometric holds. So like a single leg wall set or like a, a lunge iso hold. So there's all kinds of like holds that you could do, or do like a single leg squat, do like different glute bridge variations push-up variations. Uh, you got no weight. So get on the ground and do some T's and Y's isometric holds. Like 
Uh, you can still do core exercise, making sure there's a ton of things you can do to strengthen your ankles and feet. So there's a lot of things to do. You just need to find the best exercise that you can do. You're not going to get as much of a strength stimulus as you can with lifting heavier weight. But what I think as an athlete is you always do the best you can do with what you have and what you can do, right? We're always just trying to make the best out of every situation because no, rarely, rarely situations are ideal to begin with, right? Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, I love that. And one, one thing I used to do with our teams is have them bring a medicine ball to practice so they can do a yeah. lot of things with the, uh, with the medicine ball. And, and that was as far as we went. Okay, no, this is great. All right, man. Last one. Let's talk about injury prevention uh, and develop the body. That was your fourth one. Okay. Awesome. So injury prevention. I really like this. So, uh, I just want to talk about like, so there's a lot of overuse injuries that happen in volleyball. So whether that's your knees, or your shoulders, so I want to explain to coaches. I think this is important for them to understand. It's not too complicated where most knee injuries come from, like overuse injuries in practice. Here's what happens. We all have a threshold. Okay. And this threshold is how many jumps I can do in one day or how many jumps I can do per week. And if I stay under that threshold, my knees are going to be a lot less broken down, a lot hurt, but it doesn't matter who you are in the world. If you surpass that threshold where you're doing more jumps, more arm swings, need the strength and structural tolerance with. You're going to start feeling pain. You're going to be sore. So one part of your training has to be increasing what I call your work capacity. And that's your ability to do more jumping and do more arm swings with less breakdown your body. Does that make sense? So what we want to do is increase that threshold so it's higher. So this is what I see with a lot of coaches. They make their athletes jump 200 times in practice, and they didn't realize they made them jump 200 times per practice. That athlete's threshold is about 140 before they start getting right. patella pain. And then they're, you know, the next day, their, their knees are swollen. So one of the most important things for preventing injuries is just getting way stronger because as you get stronger, your body can tolerate these hard landings, these hard, the hard sorry, hard landings, the hard, sharp change direction movement, the really heavy arm swings and having to decelerate your shoulder. So getting stronger everywhere is important. Um, also just finding some points in time, like ideally in your off season to do things that work on developing your work capacity. And that is where you might do some more volume, more repetitions, more things like that, like finding times a year where you can allocate those things, but common weak points for volleyball players. Like we want to be doing things for our rotator cuff. So making sure we're doing things for a rotator cuff, things for our upper back. Those are two like really important things. I think doing things to strengthen our glutes and our hamstrings, and then also things to strengthen our foot and our ankle. Those are common parts that I think get missed in a lot of players training. And those are the things that can kind of help protect your body because those are things like we want to think about volleyball. It's volatile. It's we chron we're chronically jumping too much, right? It's way too many arm swings. And so you have to have the body designed to tolerate those forces. And it's going to be a body that's strong, that has good body composition, you know? So I, I do going to tell you the number one thing for preventing injuries is getting stronger. And if you think you're preventing injuries because you're using your foam roller or because you're holding these static stretches, then you're out of your mind. That might be a piece that you could do in there, but it is like, it's a one out of 10 where a strength training is a 10 out of 10 in terms of preventing injuries. So for you coaches that think strength training is dangerous, I'm going to tell you this, you want to know it's being dangerous, playing volleyball and being weak is dangerous, playing volleyball and being strong. That's like your armor that you have in your body to, to, to essentially fight against these high volume arm swings and these high volume landings. Right. Hey, do you know, I, I always ask coaches, do you know what, what's a good uh, number of jumps that an athlete should be doing in practice? 
Any idea? I think it really depends on the ages that they are. Um, that's really hard to say. It, it depends on the level that they're at and at what point of season they're in. I think if they're in like a preseason and they got more managed, you can have them jumping more because they don't have their games. But um, you would you would have to base on your team. But I know some coaches that try to keep it under like 100 every practice type thing or 120. I think it depends on your team. It also depends on what type of jumps are, right? If it's a lot of like, Static block jumps is a lot different than like hitting like a, a big set over and over and over again. But um, I think you, a coach should just be aware of how many injuries do I have on my team? How much jumping am I making them do? Is there drills I could do where I eliminate some of the jumping? Like so a lot of the teams that I work with and I create, coordinate their program. So like the university team, like they'll practice on Monday and we're lifting on Mondays, but in Monday's practice, they rarely jump. Like it's very little jumping, especially if they came off competing. And then Tuesday, they might have them jump more, more wash drills, more things like that. Wednesdays might be more moderate in terms of jumping more passing focus so what i think uh in terms of a coach and a strength like a volleyball coach versus a strength and conditioning coach the co there should be some communication on what are higher volume jumping days and lower volume jumping days and then kind of the strength coach can come in there and fill in the gaps with the training accordingly like like for instance some of the teams i have zero jumping in their week that i do because i know the coach is jumping them a lot and doing these things so i need to focus on these so i need to manipulate my training based on the intensity that the coaches are training their athletes so when i was working with uh sophie and so i was training so um, she's her uh, her um, their coaches from Brazil. He's one of the most sought after coaches in the world. He's his wife is a world championship. He's got Olympic medals in coaching. And so he always send me like, I'm going to destroy them today. They're done. Like practice is going to be insane today. And I'm like, OK, I got to dial it up. And he's like, OK, this week, everything's going to be very easy. We can ramp these things up like there's direct cohesion between the two, because if if this coach has his foot on the gas, like the volleyball coach has their foot on the gas and the strength coach has their foot on the gas. That's generally when we run into problems. Right. So we need to offset things accordingly yeah i know that's good uh it's funny so we actually do track jumping in practice uh, and we'll and just to give perspective like in, in any given drill if you're doing a if you're doing a wash drill for example your players are probably going to jump like 50 times especially the middles in that one wash drill because if you do like 10 reps per round or however you want to do it like think about how many down balls you get 10 down balls. That's, that's pretty much 10 jumps. If everyone's yeah. going in system, if there's a rally in that, in that one down ball, you're looking at 50 jumps for one drill, not to mention you play, you scrimmage in practice, you do other things. So a hundred jumps, you can easily get to a hundred jumps without realizing it. Yeah. And I, and I want to say is you might not necessarily have to stay under a hundred. I just think it yeah, jumps yeah, accumulate no, it. and it's just more like being mindful of it. Like if it's like, you don't have to say, Oh man, we did 101 today. We're in trouble, but it's like, I'm at least thinking and managing it. And I'm not just uh, inserting high volume jumping drills throughout the whole practice. Right. You kind of space it out. All right. So let's just do a quick recap because there was a lot of things we talked about. And then if I missed anything, read just, uh, you can let me know at the end here. So Basically, we talked about, so we divide up into four different categories. We talked about strength training, jump technique, power output, and injury prevention and developing the body. And we started off by talking a lot about the strength training. So we broke out strength training into the bilateral and unilateral movements, you know, bilateral being two legs at a time, unilateral being one leg at a time. And I liked that when you talked about every five weeks, change your exercises, and then we mentioned that if you're, you know, if you're going twice a week practice, you could probably do two to three times a week strength training. Um, mm -hmm. older got older athletes could probably do three to four. Um, and if you're, you know, five days a week of practice, then you're not doing any more than, you know, two strength training workouts, uh, and then a 15 minute injury prevention, uh, taking care of your body. And then if you're a non-starter though, you can still do three days a week. Yeah. Uh, some, some of the examples that we talked about for 
Oh, the one thing about increasing weight too, I loved is that if you can, if you have two or more reps in the tank, um, after, you know, after you finish your rep range, then it's time to increase your weight. Can, can I bit? compliment on that one? The, when I say two reps in the tank, you could change that to one rep in the tank or three reps in the tank. It's my way of understanding, getting them to understand the intensity that they're working Got on. It. Yep. You know what I mean? So like some yep. people say, oh, I want you to do this at a seven out of 10 difficulty. They're like, ah, what's that? Or it's like, I want you to use 85% of your one rep max. It's like, ah, I don't know. I don't got my calculator yeah, yeah, yeah. on the coach. That's a really but good when, point. When you say like, I got one rep in the tank or two reps in the tank, that communication between coach and athlete gets to really understand where they're at, right? Because if the athlete's going to zero reps in the tank every set, this athlete it's going to fade into the work and be fatigued really early and not get all the training stimulus that we want. Yeah, no, exactly. Um, and then in terms of the bilateral, we had, uh, you have your back squat, your front squat, your trap bar, deadlift, your barbell, hip thrust. So that's your, again, your two-legged uh, workouts. And we have your unilateral. So one step. So yeah. there's a lot of different step up variations you can do single leg squats, split squats, uh, one leg, hip thrust, single leg isometric exercises. And you did mention that, uh, last year, 13 years, no one's got injured for you doing isometric exercises. So definitely do that. Um, and then we talked about the posterior chain. So uh, for those of you that didn't know that those are muscle groups that run along the back. So your glute, your calves, your hamstrings, things like that. Um, and yeah, and, and the overall ideal of, the, of this whole thing was, you know, you got to make a decision based on your situation. So depending on you know who you are as an athlete and what your situation is, that's going to determine, you know, how, how far you push yourself and which has been like kind of the theme of this entire interview. Then we transitioned to jump technique. So we talked about three and we added in a fourth at the end there. So uh, leaving late to accelerate to the ball. So you want to make sure we're accelerating to the ball. So don't be changing directions. You're one linear motion, accelerate to the ball. Uh, the second thing was your second last step. So your penultimate step which is your second last step. We want it big and we want it fast. Uh, the third thing we talked about was arm drive. And then the last thing was posture, staying tall, you know, don't dropping and dropping your chest and things like that. Uh, and then in terms of training it, we talked about the fact that coaches need to understand what that, what it looks like. What does the footwork look like? You know, making sure that your athletes are staying tall and their arm drive is there. Um, giving athletes one key thing to focus on at a time is, is, that was really good advice. And then how to train it, you know, warming up. That's how you train patterns. Uh, push to load. So not actually jumping, but just pushing to that load position. Uh, and then you can, uh, and then make sure you, you look at their arm drive as well when we're doing that. Uh, and then a couple of sets where you're pushing to load and then jump. And then we had the load to extend where we're working on the arm drive. And again, this is no longer than six to eight minutes. So that's a really good way of uh, working with your jump technique. And then we transition to power output. So your ability to apply force quickly, that's what power output is. Um, and then we had the four stages. We had the strength stage, which is like the heavy lifting. And we had the strength speed, which is more moderate to load and we're moderate, sorry, moderate load. And we're thinking of more speed. Then we had the very light load, which is speed strength. And then we had the uh, last one, which is just speed, which is no, no weight at all. And um, we're, we're always in the, the strength, speed, speed, strength kind of phase. That, that'd be a good place to be if you're doing strength training as well. Um, using lighter loads, like things like dumbbell squats, 60, 60 to 70% of your, of your weight, uh, of the weight, rather of your RM, uh, move it faster, jump with it, things like that in season, uh, Reed gave us a really cool in season example of what a workout would look like. So like start off with your back squat, front squat, three to five sets, um, things you can do seven times dumbbell squats, uh, or any, or any, you, you kind of Mix the bar, the back squat and the front squat with either a dumbbell squat jump or a rotator cuff exercise. Then we had our single leg RDL, your Romanian deadlift, uh, really focusing on power on the way up. 
And then you, you can couple that with a half kneeling shoulder press. And then the last one we have your, your lateral lunge. Um, you can do like calf raises or core exercises and things like that. Uh, and then uh, he mentioned a really cool thing about post-activation potentiation, which is like, you know, activating uh, lots of why a lot of players do workouts before games, like in the morning before their games. Cause, cause that re so look that up. Actually, that'd, that'd be good to look up. I'm going to look that up myself in terms of the post-activation potentiation. That's really cool. It's, it's something that's neat because it's something that's been studied so many times and proven successful, like every time. Right. So, yeah. Yeah, I know. I love that. Um, if you don't have weight, uh, we talked about resistance bands, uh, you know, gotta love the resistance bands. You can absolutely get stuff there done, but obviously, you know, using weight is, is, is better. Uh, and then we have the last one, which is injury prevention and developing the body. And, you know, the, most of the injuries we, uh, we talked about was to, you always find injuries in the knees and the shoulders. Um, so we want to make sure we're doing things for our rotator cuff, our back. And at the end of the day, he mentioned the way to prevent injuries getting stronger and that's through strength training. So if you're not doing that, that's, that's a problem. So make sure you're doing strength training, uh, strengthening the foot and the ankle too, which is an overlooked, uh, area on the body to do. So make sure you do that. Um, and that's really about it. Is there anything that you want to touch on or add to that? I think that, I think that's about it. I think that's a good synopsis of things. I mean, you can, you can go on for this stuff forever, but I um, I, I hope that this is at least helpful for, for many of the coaches out there. And if not, if you have any questions or anything, you can always just send me a message. You can find me at Reed's workout. So at my first name, R E I D S and then workouts. That's where you'll find me on Instagram. If you have any questions about anything, you know, always just send me a message on there. But once again, Brian, I really appreciate you having me on and get to speak to your community. And hopefully, you know, a couple coaches benefit from something in here. Even if you take one thing away, then, you know, that can be yeah. helpful, right? No, absolutely. So uh, we'll, we'll link Reed's uh, info up in the show notes. So if coaches <laughs> want to reach out to him. Um, and if you have players, I, I, Reed mentioned that you do online training as well, right? Yeah, that's mainly what I do is I do online programming for teams and individual athletes where, you know, they have access to my app and we have a team of coaches, what we call Vert and Strength Specialists that will look at our extra athletes like videos, if they log any videos, of them doing the exercise and stuff like that. So oh, yeah, that's, and that's really something cool. we've been doing it for a while. Yeah. So yeah, so if you have athletes that are interested in that, uh, you can pass or read the information on to them no matter where you are in the world, which is kind of nice. Uh, and the last thing I'll, I'll say, and I ask everyone this, if you could have dinner with anyone you want, dead or alive, who would it be and why? Mm. Michael Jordan, for sure. 100%. Oh, yeah. 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 I, I, would, I would try to compete with him at something. I'd try to get him to gamble something with me here. Like, I don't know. I would like to like, I would like to get into it with him a little bit. I just, I, was, I would like to feel his competitive energy. And so I'd like to try to pull it out of him. MJ, 100%. That's a good one. All right, Reed, listen, man, thank you so much. I really appreciate you taking the time out and giving, giving a lot. There's a lot of things here, guys. You could, you could hear it in Reed's, Reed's voice, how passionate he was, and he spit out so many things, um, more than I probably wrote, wrote down, So, which means you would have to come back and re-listen to this episode because there's a lot of nuggets in here. Um, so, Reed, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. And to our listeners, thank you guys for tuning in to another episode of the Volleyball by Design podcast. I'll see you guys next week. Take care. All right, cue the music. Look, are you at the stage you want to be in your volleyball journey? How would it feel to get clarity on your training? And instead of taking months to get better, you could improve in weeks, if not days. When I was a young coach and player, I felt this way all the time. The truth is, after I got some great advice on how to be efficient, my learning curve grew exponentially. Let me show you how to be more efficient and effective in this game. I invite you to check out CoachBTraining.com for more resources that you can use to take your game to the next level. I look forward to helping you reach your volleyball goals.